that if somebody only affirms and never criticizes you, then the elephant in the room must be pointed out, is that even love? Welcome to another episode of the Carpe Fide Podcast, where if the shoe fits, you wear it. And if the truth hurts, you bear it. I am Justin Gruber. And I am Jesse Gruber. And in this episode, as always, we hope to encourage you to seize seize the the faith. Ooh, special episode tonight. Special. (laughs) We're doing our first interview episode, and it's very exciting. It is very exciting. We've got Blake Long on the line. We will be talking. You mean author extraordinaire. The author. That's right. The Blake Long. Not some other. It is the. I suddenly feel special. I did not realize I was the first interviewer. Oh, oh. You, you are. Technically, you're the second, but we're going to give you street credit. Wait, he's the second? Who was we the technically first? technically interviewed Alex. Well, we don't How have to interview Alex. You, you're, you're the first. You're the first. <laughs> he won't listen to this anyway. Uh, yeah, so. Uh, Sorry, but, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> so, Blake Long wrote a book called Gospel Smugness. And as soon as he heard of our podcast, he sent it to us for our own personal edification. Uh, in hopes to win us toward a gentler spirit. No, I'm just kidding. But it didn't work. But we love the book. We we did love the we do love the book. I'm trying to get back to the gospel smugness displaying Christ-like character in evangelism. So I read through the book. Justin has read through it vicariously through me. And yeah, this guy kept calling me and saying, "Listen to this. Listen to this." And I'm like, "You know, I, I like I'm working. I, I have to here." so let me uh let me start with this let me start with this quote i am all the way at the bottom i need to get to the top let's start with this quote so uh right here in the uh, introduction it writes sometimes i think christians have a problem we may have the right message and say the right things but too many times we negate the truth with how we behave in other words we add to the offensive nature of the gospel by being jerks flat out obnoxious the central theme of this book is this how to biblically communicate an offensive gospel with discretion while simultaneously keeping the message intact. In other words, sharing an offensive gospel with an offended culture while displaying Christ-like character. Uh, and I, I found that to be true uh, in this book. So this is Blake Long, everybody. So Blake, what, what caused you to write this book? What was, the, what was the, the first spark of the idea in your brain? <clears throat> First spark. So honestly, and, and if you go to, here's your plug for you. If you go to my, my blog, it's theologyandlife.com. I have a section for the book and I have a Q&A section. Is what I'm trying to say. I lost my train of thought. And I talk about what inspired the book. It was actually a blog post at first. The blog post was entitled, The Gospel is Offensive, But You Shouldn't Be. I literally wrote that thing on my phone. Took me a day or, to, day or so to do it. And then I made sure there weren't really any typos and I sent it out. And of course that got picked up by uh, Tim Challies. never experienced that before. And so I was a little shocked to see the, how many people were viewing it. And, you know, cause my measly little blog is getting, you know, five views a day, not even that much more than that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, good thing. I was <laughs> I actually I actually called or, or chatted with WordPress, and I was like, "Hey, what's the issue here?" And they're like, "Dude, this is congrats because you <laughs> something happened, and it's a good thing." And then I <laughs> Charlie's shared it on all his a la carte, and I was like, "Nice." <laughs> but, so I mean, 
what inspired the book really was him sharing it. And I actually put that in the preface. Um, I'm not sure the, I'm not sure this specific book would have happened if it wasn't for him sharing the blog. And it was kind of a validation. So, so to speak of, I knew I wanted to write a book. I didn't know what over that told me, Hey, you have something here. I think people, you're not going to write a book as an author without having confidence and believing in people are actually going to be edified from it. So that's why that was written, but where did the actual idea come from? So, you know, the whole point of the book, you know, displaying Christ-like character and evangelism, having the knowledge, but it really not being in our hearts a lot of the times and how we speak to people, whether that's online or in person, being someone who holds to the doctrines of grace, who, who believes in reformed theology, with, with no apologies, we are the culprits. And, and I hate to have to say it, but I, I think this really began with how I, and, you know, I, I can be this way too. I'm not a, an exception to it, but how Christians and specifically Calvinistic Christians behave in, in, in specifically in evangelism, of course, but also just in our public witness. I know that's been a talk nowadays with our public witness and, you know, all this stuff and what that entails, but that, that absolutely matters. If you have an awful public witness, then you're not, you know, you're doing a disservice to the gospel. And so I, 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 I have seen that from reformed Christians specifically, you know, like we talked about earlier online, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, primarily Twitter. I don't know why, Twitter is a bigger cesspool than the others, but it just is. Because they um, only give you so many characters to be mean in, and you have to get it all out kind of all there. <laughs> exactly. And so you, you don't, you're not nuanced. Um, so many different things. And, you know, I told him before this that I'm not going to name names, but I had names in mind when I wrote it just because it's exhausting. It was, it's, it's, it's been, and it's still ongoing. Nothing's changed. And, you know, we've seen it, seen it compounded further with the Southern Baptist Convention meeting. And it, it's not just about smugness. It's, it's about assuming the worst about other Christians. It's, it's about uh, looking past fault. It's about elevating secondary doctrines to first doctrines, which hello, fundamentalism for you. But anyways, that is where the idea came from. Yeah. And that, that, that gets fleshed out a ton in the book. And it, it, it's funny because w- when you messaged us, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I w- I'd love to read that. And then over the next few weeks, our, uh, our church community in talking through, because this month, uh, formerly known as June, uh, is also Pride Month. So we, we got a lot of questions from our congregants um, just about how do we speak the truth in love uh, to our family members? Or how do we respond when they say that if that we're not loving them if if you don't believe this, or if you don't accept me for this. And, you know, it, it was kind of, it was certainly providential in reading through this book and connecting with you through Instagram, <clears throat> being able to recommend this book actually um, to our people in our community groups, as we were chatting through a bunch of this stuff. So it was, it was very good timing. Um, so thank you for that. Th- this episode, we're going to be calling contending versus contentious, two biblical terms, two biblical concepts that we're pulling right from scripture. So uh, I just want to open up with some, with some Bible verses for us to, uh, to grab a hold on. And maybe we can reference them throughout, throughout our chat. So when we talk about contending, I, my mind went to Jude, 
verse three, where, where the opening says, dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered for the saints once for all. So we have this idea that we grapple on, that we hold on to, right? This idea that we must contend for the faith. We have to, we have to be the, be the doers of the great commission. And, and so we, we have to grab hold of that, but we also have this biblical concept of doing it the wrong way. So Proverbs says a lot about this and I will spare the verses uh, about contentious women just to not bring up any more strife. In that but Proverbs 26 verse 21 says this as charcoal for embers and wood for fire. So is a contentious man for kindling strife that, that just pulls in into the idea of the nature of a contentious person kindles strife like like embers do a fire like wood does a fire. Um, and then also when, when Paul writes Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, um, verse 24, uh, among these qualifications, we must, he, he says this, he says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. And so we have clear biblical commands to contend for the faith, but not be contentious as, as we do so. And so I, I just thought that was a great biblical biblical groundwork, biblical framework for, for where we're going to couch, couch this discussion. And at some point, we're going to include Blake in this discussion. I let Blake talk first. <laughs> this is true. Uh, you, you have any questions? Uh, you, you wrote some questions down over there, Justin. What are oh, you I wasn't going to do these initially. Oh, well, now oh, no, you're going to just like, well, what else are we going to do? I thought you might have. So, so Blake. <laughs> <laughs> now, Je- <laughs> Jesse read your book. And I feel like I vicariously lived it. You lived your book through Jesse. When I, when I initially, I, I think I, I mentioned it specifically that I, I was hoping you would listen to our podcast before you did the interview so you could evaluate whether or not you find us to be smug or whether, or perhaps contentious or whether you found the general tenor to be contending. So what were your thoughts as you may have heard a podcast. Do you feel that the that that Jesse and Justin Gruber are smug? Let me ask you a question first. I am smug. Just to be clear, I I I I am a proud, arrogant person. Now you're off the hook. But your opinion now? <laughs> I agree. No, I'm <laughs> amen. I, I I listened to the first five minutes or so of. I can't honestly remember. I can't remember what the, the title of it was. It was one of your last ones. Um, and I love the introduction, but I, if the shoe fits, I honestly, I can't remember what else you said, but that to me was like, I need to talk to these guys. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that it made me think about, um, so from where, from the pastoral care side, which, mm-hmm. is where I, which is where I'll approach the ministry from, when I look out into the culture, what I really find to be the issue from what I see practically speaking tends to be a lack of uh, uh, biblical literacy. So a lack of knowing what the truth is. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I see that, I think that can affect God, the, the smug portions, because I think we're talking about uh, s- trying to speak authoritatively without knowing what we're actually speaking on. Yeah. Um, not without knowing the truth. But I don't know, I, I don't know if I see the smugness. So 
where do you see the smugness in our culture that you wanted to address? Where's Blake Long when he in, writes that first blog post? In right? Christian culture. Yeah, you're writing that first blog post and and where do you feel the smugness is? So this kind of ties in a little bit with what came of coming up with the title. I knew I knew I wanted gospel in the title. Um, at first it was the gospel doesn't need your smugness. Uh, one of my elders told me that he thought that was too long. So that's how you got gospel smugness. But the smugness part. Now, I, I mean, I don't know if you guys, I'm going to go on rabbit holes here. So forgive me. But okay. if you, you know, Justin didn't read the book. Jesse did. And you would have seen the two or three office references in there. And so there is an office. Well, this office reference isn't actually in the book, but it, it talks about um, there, there's an, a scene where he's talking about smudgeness. And my book, God, is obviously mispronouncing the word. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and so the biggest takeaway from the book is that this title is inspired by Michael Scott. And that's the most important part. But, <laughs> oh, so, well done. So, so it's, it's funny. It was really funny because I, I talked about the providential aspects of this as we were going through a bunch of these issues of how to communicate, um, especially this month in our community. And um, a lot of what, a lot of what you're saying is, are some of the, th- some of the very things that we've pulled on, I'd like to say before we read the book, but uh, before I read the book, but a lot of these, these things that you harp on in the book, we were actually able to practically apply in the lives of our people. Um, and then like, I, I, I would, I would either read the book, read the, read a chapter a day before or read a chapter a day after. I'm like, I, we just talked about this. This is perfect. Um, so chapter four, you talk about knowing your audience, right? And um, yeah. it, it made me think of, I don't know if you caught John Cooper's uh, speech at the, uh, what, 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 Dove the Dove Awards, was it Dove? but um, he, he stood up there and he accepted, he accepted an award for his book. And he, I feel like he, he knew, he knew the audience and his message to the audience. It's the Caleb Awards. I forgot. I thought it was the Caleb Awards. Yeah, it's the Caleb Awards. Yeah. I apologize. No, it's okay. Um, and uh, his message to the people in his speech that he delivered, um, he said to play the man, play the man. And that, that made me think of, of knowing your audience. And actually, I, I, was, I was talking to Aaron Coates today, actually. And she said, play the man is actually one of the things that she said um, right before James went into prison. Um, the cool. first time is, is play the man. And so when you talk about knowing the audience, um, one, of the quotes that, one of the quotes that I highlighted here um, you said that you can be soft-spoken, gentle, and as compassionate as anyone, but the truth of the gospel will always offend. And, and that's kind of something that we were, we were talking to our people about, like, look, there's this, there's this, well, one of our podcasts actually recently was also Christ, called Christian kindness. There's that 11th commandment, be ye nice. Right. But when you compare that to actually Christian kindness, kindness incorporates speaking the truth to people in, in, in these uncomfortable circumstances, the truth is um, offensive. And so do you think that that type of thing, how, how do you want that type of message to help people? The, the message that you can be soft-spoken, gentle, and as compassionate as anyone, but the truth of the gospel will always offend. When you wrote that, what, 
what, how, how are you trying to encourage the church to, to think about their communication with people? Well, it's, you know, to be honest with you, when I, I wrote the whole chapter, I was struggling with trying to not be pragmatic. Um, being an SBC, that, that's one of my harsher criticisms of the SBCs that were just so pragmatic about everything. And, <clears throat> but knowing our audience, you know, the first paragraph of the chapter is about, you know, we're talking about how we read the room in evangelism. It makes sense. I mean, we, we don't want to talk the same way at a street corner than we do in a, you know, Starbucks. So point is with your question, it's kind of, you can kind of equate it with believing in a sovereign God and knowing it's not up to me to convert anybody. Mm. It's up to me to share the message. So in the same way, it's, it, it's not up to me to, try my hardest to get this person to understand it, even if I'm being very kind and sweet and gentle and loving in the process. Um, you can say, Hey, you know, you're, you know, you need to repent of your sins. The gospel says you're a wicked sinner. You know, Jeremiah seven, nine, you know, 17, nine says this and that you can be so kind and saying that and so soft-spoken, but yet what you're saying by itself is going to, you know, for the most part, deeply offend this person. Um, so e- even in, in your soft spokenness, you're still going to say something that might, you know, that's probably going to hurt their feelings. And so I guess the, the, what I want people to take from that is, you know, don't get so caught up in their reaction, mm. do what you're supposed to do. Do what God has called you to do, share the gospel, make disciples, make sure you're not a jerk in the process, and then leave the rest up to him. Mm-hmm. So in the same way of preach the gospel, leave the, 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 the miracle work of regeneration up to the Holy Spirit. Yeah, definitely. What level of, so for example, the message offends, right? Mm-hmm. What level is the perception of the other person playing into you being a, a jerk, as you just said, or, or you coming off as contentious versus you actually being contentious? Absolutely. How do you that interplay out? So that's a good question because as I was writing, I was telling myself, this absolutely happens. It's why I wrote the book. But a lot of the times people are getting offended or people are, you know, getting upset by what we're saying, not because we're being jerks, um, but because one, the gospel is going to offend them either way. But two, you know, it's likely they might be a little sensitive. Um, you know, I, it's either the introduction or chapter one. Um, it might be chapter one where I literally started out talking about how, I mean, literally, and I was telling my wife this yesterday, you have, we have safe spaces at universities now. Yeah. I mean, you can probably go to California, Berkeley. There are safe spaces at colleges for kids who just can't stand other opinions. Yeah. Now, I don't, I, I don't know if that's an overgeneral, general, good grief. You guys can edit this, but overgeneralizing this. <laughs> he thinks <laughs> we have an editor. We have a producer. We'll take care of it. Right. <laughs> 
He's like, I don't know how to edit. Um, <laughs> I can't even turn the notifications off on the computer. <laughs> but so, you know, I, I, I don't think I'm overgeneralizing it. Um, I think there are literally safe spaces at universities for, for students to go to because they got their free answer. I mean, that's yes, just that's what correct. it is. That is, um, <laughs> you know, forgive me, I'm trying not to be snarky here. Um, don't be smug. <laughs> Well, it's a little laughable. I mean, we yeah. have we have created, and not we, but just the, the culture at large, I guess, just because of, they hate God, basically. It's a culture full of weaklings. And, and truly, I don't, you know, for the listener, I don't say that as, as an insult, but it's reality. It's kind of like somebody who doesn't know something, they're ignorant of the subject. I'm not, you know, saying you're an idiot. I'm saying you just simply don't know. We have a culture full of people who can't take other opinions. Yeah. I mean, we literally are in a point in time when um, disagreement meets or means hatred. Yeah. That, that's just, that's simply not true. And so, yeah. 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 Tolerance is bigotry unless you're actually accepting, which means affirming. It, which is intolerance. Yeah. Right. So very confusing. Yeah, I, I appreciated I <laughs> again it being June. I, I appreciated right in the right in the introduction. You That's talk true. about you talk about the uncomfortable uh, conversations with uh, surrounding homosexuality. But I think that you actually a very very helpful thing was you actually framed it. Um, you, you framed where the offense comes from. I think very well. So if you don't mind, so uh, you write when a Christian says homosexuality is wrong, the unbeliever hears who you are as a person is wrong. And from the unbeliever's perspective, we're attacking the person, not the ideology. Homosexuals, at least most of them, don't look at their homosexuality as a choice, but as who they are. And as a result, they hear hatred when believers say homosexuality is against God's good design. I thought that that was incredibly insightful um, because it, well, first off, because it's absolutely true, because we've, in our culture, we view sexuality as an integral part of our identity mm-hmm. so you're not we're not just ta- attacking a sin yeah. like like you are uh you, you know i don't know name a sin uh pr- pride but that's that's that's, that's rock stealing thing. stealing there we go you know we're not attacking we're not attacking something that 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 is viewed as something someone does we're attacking something that they view as part of who they are right. and I, I think that if we got better if, if, i think that if we as in Christendom got better at understanding how people are thinking about the things that we want to talk about. I think it can actually really be a great bridge to playing the man and really understanding how we should be communicating to them. You know, uh, we talk about in our last podcast, uh, the the post that I made um, on June 1st, uh, not very tactful. Uh, I simply stated that pride is a sin. I'm like, okay, all right. And uh, that didn't go well. Yeah, but he used Facebook's rainbow <laughs> background and emoji where you're holding up the. Oh, I, I added a. I saw it. Oh, there oh, was there oh, was no. some there was some oh, irony okay. there. All right, but um, but you know, and so there, there's that, and but but this uh, this concept played out very well in in that post in the 170 something comments that are on it now. Um, nobody go back and comment on that. I do not want to relive any of that. Um, but it, it's 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 this concept played so well into that because people were saying, well, I guess I'm just going to, I'm just going to be the sinner then. And it's like, you know what, you know, that's, 
that's not really the message here. And, but at the same time, I understand that I was using irony and all that stuff. I, I get that. I get my communication end of that, but, but it highlights that. And I think that part of reading the room well is trying to understand how people are going to react to the things that we say to them. And it can actually contextualize a bit how we, how we communicate. Cause it is an attack on what they perceive as part of their identity deep down to the core, just like I am a father. Like it's, it's as integral to who I am, that, that, that component of sexuality. Um, none, of, none of it's really surprising. It's Romans one. So, I mean, well, yeah. we, we identify with the pinnacle of intimacy because we are the pinnacle of creation that God made. And our pinnacle of intimacy is, well, it's sexual intimacy. I mean, that's our pinnacle of, of physical intimacy on right. earth. So, so yeah. back to asking Blake questions though. I'm sorry. <laughs> you should see him preach a sermon, Blake. It's, it's fantastic. So, now I'm going to just throw Jesse under the bus here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you said we're asking Blake more questions. <laughs> I love it when we throw Jesse under the bus. Well, it made me think of it. So I can't, it, I think it's the social media chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Social media chapter where I talk about stirring the pot. And I do a little story about Johnny and, you know, he's, he, you know, accuses us or he believes in the flying spaghetti monster and all this stuff. Yep. And then I reverted back to Christians stirring the pot. Mm-hmm. Pride is a sin was stirring the pot, my brother. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> stirring it real nice. <laughs> and it's one of those things where I'm like, well, you don't want should... to settle on the bottom. You want to, you want to get the cheese all throughout. You've got to make that mix the pot real good. <laughs> I attend, I attend church with many people who enjoy stirring the pot, and I just can't do it. Right, well, so Paul, Paul rolls up into the Areopagus, right? He's like, hey, you got all these gods over here. You even have a god to the other one. Let me tell you how this god here is real and all the other ones are fake. How is that not stirring the pot? How is that not similar to in what, we, in, in what Jesse does? How, how, how Jesse did with that post? Like, how is that different? And why is stirring the pot wrong? Is stirring the pot wrong? Can be. So, I mean, again, if, if I think it comes down to, now, again, I'm not really throwing you under the bus. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but, no, like, we're all good here. No. I've learned a lot since Okay, then. good deal. <laughs> oh, please believe us. We, are, we can look, be, be critical. We can handle it. I need to <laughs> Number one, the medium, Facebook. No, very rarely we ever see a constructive argument online, at least from my perspective. Two, June, which, I mean, that's why you did it. I understand why you did it. And I don't, I don't necessarily, and I'm not necessarily saying you shouldn't have done it. Just, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, what, is it going to create good discussion? Did it create good discussion? created much discussion i'll i'll say much that I, I will say that that god did use the post in many unsurprisingly positive ways that it was not all negative however right and absolutely it's one of those things where because then you get into the pit of feeling the need to respond to all the comments oh, yeah. at least i would um, if I make a post like that, which I have before, you know, I, I would feel the need to respond to every little argument. And then that just, that gets you to 177 comments. Um, so, 
stirring the pot is not inherently wrong. It just, uh, I, I think for me, I think what I wrote in the book, if I remember correctly, I think for me, it comes down to your motive. The motive is why are you doing it? Are we doing it to make a statement about the gospel and trying to stand firm on the gospel? Or are we trying to do it just, just to do it basically, just because we know it's going to create commotion. Mm-hmm. And uh, to just, just to defend myself a little bit, I did not compare that post to Paul at the Areopagus. I do not find it analogous <laughs> necessarily. No, that was more the point that Paul, all right, that, that's what was more the point that oftentimes not only Paul, but Jesus himself stirs the pot um, in a very purposeful way, intentionally. Yes. The pot. Yeah. yeah. I was just pointing that out. That's all. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Which the funny thing is, the, let's stop stirring the pot. I put that, I, I, you know, I adapted that from the book and made it a blog post. Charlie's picked that up and TGC picked that up. Now, I don't <laughs> know how you guys feel about TGC, but yeah, I enjoy You're that. saying that like it's a good thing, though. Oh, I oh, TGC. Oh, 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 oh. It was for page views. I'm not saying they don't write stuff that I'm like scratching my head at, but for the most part, I enjoy TGC. Yeah, I, I really enjoy truth, so I don't know. Uh, this is when you guys kick me off the podcast. <laughs> not a bit, please. What do you what do you think we are? Some type of some type of schmucks? No. Uh so the, the two chapters that I read with a very critical eye were chapter seven and eight, truth without love and love without truth. Um and, and I think that I, I think that I even, you know, I, I kept asking you questions like, are you gonna talk about this? Are you gonna talk about, you know? false teachers are you going to talk about the people that we need that the bible actually calls us to 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 treat harshly and you do but uh so i I think that you while i don't really like to talk about truth without love to be quite frank um i I thought that the the conversation was framed very well um you state that our odious behavior drowns out our knowledge nobody cares to listen because we come across so condescending our words show that we don't really love them but just want to hear ourselves talk And, and i think that that is kind of one of the main complaints of these online forums that I see much truth, much theological truth, not, not even necessarily talking about necessarily are the evangelistic aspects of that, but within these circles, talking about different theologies, you know, do we baptize babies? Do we not baptize babies? You know, are, are, are can you have male, de- female deacons and male deacons? Should women have their heads covered in our services? So, <laughs> so it's like, but even within those conversations, I, I definitely think that, that there is much truth without love. And, and I have actually found myself leaving several groups on Facebook because I couldn't really stand hearing that type of thing. We're getting, which kicked, is, out of groups we're getting kicked out of groups. I have, I've gotten that. I do not do Facebook groups for that very reason. It's just, a, I used to do the reformed theology Facebook groups back in the day and it just, it, it's just a good it's just a place to go and argue the whole time and i just don't want to do it it is rough the other thing that you say is that when cynicism is our normal we should pray to the lord to change our normal to compassion and, and i thought that, that was a very apt quote because oftentimes we you know I, I think that people can get in their head and myself included at times i do not want to generalize other people without including myself there um, but but we can get that like i i am the last arbiter of truth to these people and i i have to say um, X, Y, and Z, or no one else will. But but really, you know, all throughout the Gospels, Jesus was moved with compassion. 
you know, uh, I, we were just reading in same page summer, uh, the, the reading plan last week, I think it was last week, I, I have no concept of time, uh, you know, in the Gospel of John, where John, Matthew, oh my gosh, it's all blur. Anyway, after John, after John the Baptist gets beheaded, um, it says that Jesus, um, you know, went by him, went by himself to a secluded mm-hmm. place. But literally right after that, it says that the crowds followed him there and Jesus was moved toward compassion toward the people. And it's like, the man can't even grieve without a bunch of people following him. And yet he didn't say, Hey guys, can you give me a minute? He was moved toward compassion for them. And when you, when you spoke about changing our normal to compassion, that's kind of what, that's kind of what I had in my mind is, is just that picture of Jesus being moved toward compassion with people. Um, even at really, really inconvenient times, <laughs> like like the death of a family member. So I, I thought that that was really good. But the chapter that I loved most was Love Without Truth, because we actually did a podcast very similar to a lot of the different concepts in that. You know, uh, you state that if somebody only affirms and never criticizes you, then the elephant in the room must be pointed out, is that even love? This prevailing attitude is part and parcel with the culture we live in today. Only affirmation, no denunciation, only words of acceptance, never rejection. Truthfully, <laughs> it's a culture full of weaklings. I don't mean that in an insulting manner, but simply as a matter of reality. It's no wonder society has a hard time with criticism, given how our culture only wants to point out the good in others and never challenge in any way. I loved, that was probably one of my favorite chapters, um, just because I feel like that's the type of thing that, that that's the language that we talk about a lot. Because, and I think that, I think that it can be interpreted as overemphasizing it, but I just see so little of truth actually being spoken in our culture that I guess I can get kind of frustrated about it and, and just want to, just want to speak that truth. So when you're, when we're talking about speaking truth into culture, when you think of someone who's afraid to speak truth, because we have this cancel culture, we have this sensitive culture, you know, two generations ago, our our great grandfathers were landing on beachheads to fight evil. And we have these safe spaces on campuses. What kind of advice would you give to someone who's afraid of speaking the truth? You know, honestly, it comes down to Galatians 1.10, I believe. I think it's verse 10. Now, that's, that's the, the famous passage about preaching another gospel contrary to one he preached, you know, let you be anathema, let you be damned. Um, and then literally the next verse says, you know, who am I trying to please? Where is my acceptance coming from? So with trying to find the courage to speak the truth in a culture that just, you know, simply put, hates God in every way, shape, or form. And, you know, that's not always going to look like an an atheist hates the Lord and all that stuff. It's going to look a lot like apathy. It looks like apathy where I am in the Bible Belt. The courage to speak the truth and love in the culture comes from who do we want acceptance from? Do we want the culture to accept us? Or do we want God to accept us? If we want the culture to accept us, then, you know, we're not going to have our cake and eat it too. We're not going to have the culture and the Lord accept us. If we want God to accept us, we need to understand the culture is not going going to accept us and come to terms with that. Um, We're not going to be liked in the culture. We're, we're, We're going to be looked at as outcasts of society and we're going to have things like, I mean, I can't predict the future, but eventually, maybe in America, we we might experience somewhat of persecution, whatever that looks like. 
I, I agree with you guys, at least with Canada, they're experiencing persecution in some form. They're not getting their heads chopped off, but uh, they are getting persecuted in some sense. And so we're going to many, many Christians who are sort of apathetic in their faith, even if they even are, if they are born again, who are still apathetic in their faith, they're going to have to come to terms with it one day. I actually saw a tweet a long time ago by John Harper, who's basically saying, you get a knock on the door and uh, a Muslim or somebody, whoever it is, you know, points a gun at your face and says, are you a Christian? Well, there it is. Are you going to stand up for what you believe in? Or are you going to cave? And so that's what we're having to deal with. How, how do we speak the truth in love? Are we going to decide, are we going to cave to the culture or are we going to be on God's side? Yeah, definitely. And I, I think you, you really wrapped up that conversation well in, in the conclusion the, the last chapter, Obey the Great Commission, you talk about that struggle. And, and I, th- I think one of, you, one of your main encouragements was, was even if you have rough, rough edges with your gospel message, we still have to give that rough edges and all. And, yes. and I, I appreciated what you said earlier about the sovereignty of God when you, when you answered that question, because that's exactly the framework that we have to think. If, if we think of ourselves as the thing that is going to save this person, or if we think of our delivery as the thing that's going to save this person, uh, we are thinking far too much. <laughs> We're thinking far too much of ourselves. And so we have to be able to share the gospel with rough edges, but also be willing to reflect and refine those edges so that it becomes more and more beautiful the more and more we share, which we should be sharing often, far more often yeah. than we do. What do you think the line between contending and contentious is? Because when you are in the midst of a fight, right, you are, you're literally grappling the line between, between contending and contentious. Does it happen before the fight? Is it something that is a mindset going into interactions or because I could see, I can see in the midst of striving, you can also maybe, it could could be a turn there as well. So I don't know if, I don't know if it's more of a, a heart motive that goes into or if it's something that exists that develops in the midst of, of a, a interaction. Cause I keep fear, I keep thinking about striving and I keep thinking about con- contentious and contending. Well, I mean, Jacob, Jacob's name is literally changed to Israel because he strives with mm-hmm. God. Um, it's yep. literally to, to contend with God. And that's what his name is changed, changed to. So I'm wondering where does that, where's that line? I think it's a mindset for the most part. I think for the most part, we go into these conversations with our mind made up of how we think it should take place, which, uh, you know, of course, a lot of it as well as reactionary. I mean, in, in our own sin, how people respond in conversations may elicit sinful responses in us. I mean, even with the example of, of Jesus I use in the book of being falsely accused, we can use people falsely accusing us of whatever it is when we are literally, you know, the, the culture is so much about being victims. When we're literally being the victims in the situation where we're falsely accused, we can turn it around because we're so sinful. And we can use our own sin to lash out in the process. And so the line, it's, it's sort of a thin line. It honestly just depends on the situation. It depends on the person. It's kind of one of those things where we have to check our heart constantly. 
Um, that's why we have to repent daily and, and remember the gospel daily. Is, you know, if we are inclined to pride, then we have to be intentional about being gentle in conversations. Not every conversation. If I'm having a conversation, you know, just to use the, the, the example in the book, you know, I had the conversation one time with those two, uh, um, two ladies, two Mormon ladies at our apartment or her apartment it wasn't ours, but you know, Mormons are the nicest people you will ever meet. Yet they were still offended by the gospel presentation because they don't know God. And my wife can attest, I'm not tooting my own, own horn. I promise. I, you know, I truly think the, the gospel presentation, I spoke softly. It was in a gentle way because I know Mormons are kind of skittish. Have you so ever it's kind of one of the same Have you ever gotten to the, to the second and third level Mormon where they actually send the elders out to curse your home and stuff? You ever gotten to that level? I've never experienced that. We, we went to Provo, Utah one year. Clearly, you haven't been smug enough with the gospel with a Mormon then yet. Have you had that? No. Hey, no. Listen, I have. We got our, our little church group got kicked out of the Mormon temple. Okay. Oh, very nice. Whoa. Very yeah. nice. <laughs> the smug level goes pretty high. <laughs> <laughs> mention, mention Ephesians 2 8 9, and you get. Oh, no. Real quick. Oh, oh boy. That's not in the New so, me, Translation. What do you mean about grace? Well, let's let's get you guys out of here so we don't have to deal with hard conversations. But <laughs> that's unfortunate. It's you know. So to answer the question, it's a thin line. It honestly, it's it's not a one size fits all. It it comes down to knowing ourselves. <laughs> to you know, John Calvin, we can't know God truly unless we know ourselves truly. We have to know ourselves. We have to know our inclinations. We have to know what sets us off basically and go from there. If that makes sense. I feel like when I, when I start to listen to you and peel back layers that can to, to be contentious is the guy who looks, it's like being a brawler. It's like looking for, all right. So clearly there are people that can be contentious and, and that does seem to impact moving into a conversation without dropping names. Then I think the secondarily secondary point where that that can convert is like you're saying in the midst of doing well and trying to contend, there is that mm-hmm. that possibility of of the thing being said that pushes our button or us reacting without thinking gospelly first, thinking truthfully first, and speaking out of uh, emotional hurt instead of a desire to to not win an argument but win for the gospel, which is a total different which can be two totally different things. So I think, I think I see, I think I start to see that, that issue or a contentious being a contentious person can be like being a brawler. Although I do believe there is certainly a time to fight. <laughs> uh, it's not good to go looking to start them inherently. That's, that's good. That's good. That's clarified. I appreciate, I appreciate that. So, so what I'm picking up here is uh as long as I have the right motive, I can say whatever I want. That's what I've gotten from from this whole discussion. <laughs> that, that's it, right? That was my main takeaway. My motive well. is good. I can say whatever I want. As long as I say, with all due respect, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I um, struggle probably more. I, I think there is, I think we're coming to the time in culture where I don't see enough people speaking the truth. 
and and that's that's where I see the issue. I think I think I see our culture, particularly the Christian witness. And I don't know that we can always say maybe I don't know if you could say the Calvin Calvinistic Christian witness. I think if you're going to take the time to find out whether or not you're Calvinistic or not, you've actually spent some time actually thinking about your faith. I think, but maybe more the broader brushstrokes of evangelicalism is filled with those that are loved without without truth, which is just a lie. You can't do that. It's not possible to to love without the truth. So I guess when I come to the end, when I come to the understanding of the Great Commission, right? Mm-hmm. What does how does Blake Long want me to carry the gospel forward with the Great Commission? Well, I honestly, and I I mean I think I talk about this in the book, but at, at the end of the book, I talk about how, you know, the whole point of this, the whole point of the, the book was about how we share an offensive gospel to an offended culture without being offensive ourselves. We don't, we shouldn't want to be offensive. We shouldn't want to cause commotion. Um, if we, if we have that in our heart, something is wrong. You know, we, we have areas in which we need to repent. So we have that side of it. And then we have the other side of, but the gospel still needs shared. That doesn't mean we backtrack. That doesn't mean we step away from the culture. That doesn't mean we um, are shy and, and don't want to say anything at the, at the you know, potentiality of being offensive. We don't stop sharing the gospel just because it's going to come across offensive or we may come across offensive. So at the end, you know, it's like, so we have these two sides. What's the remedy? And you know, I think it's pretty simple. The remedy is Christ. We see the ways in which Christ was gentle and compassionate. And you know, with the disclaimer here is gent, gentle, gentleness and, 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 you know, harshness can, can coincide. They're not mutually exclusive. But we have the scenes where Jesus is gentle and compassionate, you know, with the woman at the well or, you know, with the woman in John 8, even as he says, go and sin no more. That's a wonderful example of how we are compassionate and gentle, even while saying hard things in a conversation. So we have those moments when Jesus is gentle. We also have those moments where he's flipping the tables in the temple where he says, you know, let's cut the crap basically in so many words. And we, so we look to him as an example, you know, he, you know, he's our substitute. He paid all of our sins but he's also still our example as well. We don't want to ever lose sight of the fact that he's still our example. And so in those moments where it's like, we, we know we need to be gentle. I think the hardest moments may come for us when we know we need, we need to step up to the plate. We need to say something, but we still don't want our sin to get in the way. Just because we're coming to a moment when we need to take a stand and not compromise and we need to be blunt, we need to be straightforward. We don't need to pull any punches on what we're saying. There's still that aspect of it. That doesn't mean we don't care about how we're coming across still. If that makes sense. It's kind of the whole tone police thing. I talk about that in the book, you know, we, we, and I agree with you guys probably and a lot of other people. I hate the tone police in the culture but tone does still matter. You know, it's one of those things where we have to, we have to communicate like Christ in the proper circumstance when it calls for us to 
you know, flip tables in whatever circumstance that means, let's do it, but let's do it with love. If that means we need to be gentle and compassionate, let's be gentle and compassionate. It's, it's kind of like, you know, I knew I was going to bring up the Southern Baptist Convention in this in one sense. They, they talked about, they had an argument about calling abortion murder. Abortion is murder. Abortion is the, you know, the, the point blank definition of murder. I make no apologies for that. But in the book, I talk about how, say you're, you're at the abortion clinic and, and a woman is walking inside and you scream out, abortion is murder. It's true, but we don't know who this woman is. We don't know her backstory. We don't, I mean, you know, I, I, know, I understand the statistics. The majority of abortions are elective. They know what they're doing or they may, they may be ignorant of what they're doing. But what if it's that one instance where she's being forced? What if it's that one instance where she is genuinely, maybe not sorrowful, but it's just a difficult circumstance. So though abortion is murder is, the, is, is a correct thing, is it the correct response in that situation? Rather than saying abortion is murder or, or you know, even further, you're a murderer. Say something else. Don't kill the baby. You know, we will help you. We will support you. That's not compromising on what abortion is. That's taking a more sensitive or compassionate route, so to speak. So the whole SB thing, you know, the SBC thing was they were talking about how, you know, whether we should call abortion murder or not, or whether we should call the mothers murders or not. It's a context thing. It just depends. Some mothers know exactly what they're doing. Some mothers are murderers in those circumstances. Sometimes they don't know what they're doing. I'm going off on a tangent, but I think you are. You are. And um, if I'm mowing my lawn and a can flies out of my lawnmower and smacks a bike rider in the head and they die, I'm still a murderer. Now, if I wait for a politician to drive by my house and shoot him from my second story window, I'm also a murderer. But those murders are considered significantly differently than when it comes to the context of, of how they are treated under the law, specifically because mm-hmm. the two contexts they happened in are vastly different. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think there's a place. So when I, when I think about that, particularly, because I think that comes into that, that comes right into gospel smugness. I don't mm-hmm. I don't have. Um, there's no portion of me that has an issue with letting a mother know that they need to repent of murdering their child. I don't think there's, I I don't, I thought, I think sometimes in, in the softness of our culture, we've, we've become scared to allow sin to be uh, uh, known as sin and and to call it what it is. And I think that um, there, there may be an appropriate context for that, but I think particularly when you're thinking about writing formal truths down like the SBC was it's important to say no both uh, any man or woman involved with the abortion of a child is is complicit in murder is a clear way for them to understand their sin in those moments Mm -hmm. um so I think that that's a great way uh to see that truth bear out I do think there's a way to be winsome at at an abortion clinic for sure there's a way to be winsome in, in all aspects and then there's times then there's those moments where my kids run into the street and I'm not concerned about being winsome. I'm concerned about um, being very sure. contentious, <laughs> very, very contentious for the truth in those moments. 
Um, and I think yeah. important, I think what I'm, what I'm really picking up from you is that the important part is uh, trying to know the, when those moments are. Uh, when yeah, are and exactly. And that's something we can't, and, and unless by some crazy circumstance we can tell, you know, I make the point in the book of don't get analytical with, with evangelism. That's not what he's called us to. We can use our God-given intelligence to understand the situation and use common sense of how to speak. But ultimately, we're relying on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give us words. Sometimes we'll disobey the Holy Spirit and our sin gets in the way. But the majority of the time, we're relying wholly on the Spirit to give us the words to say and how to say them as well. Yeah, I think you, you mentioned this in the, in the social media chapter. Um, and you, you say a prayerless Christian on social media is a dangerous Christian. And, and I think that we can just blow, blow the door wide open as far as the context in which we should pray before speaking, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you, you know, because that, that concept, I mean, that, that, that quote really hit me hard because I'm like, oh man, the amount of stuff that gets posted, the amount of stuff that I do in a day without praying is yeah. crazy. And prayer is one of those interesting things where it's like, no matter how much you do of it, you can always do more. Like, like, you know, you know what I mean? It's like, Pray without ceasing as the word says. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but it's like, there is, there is a real tangible benefit and there is a real role in our sanctification that prayer, that prayer prays, which is why God calls us to pray without ceasing. <laughs> there is something that it does. It, it helps shape who we are. It helps, it does help soften the words and it helps give us, gives us the right words to say. If our, if our words need to be bolder, the spirit can reveal that to us. If our words need to be softer and take a gentler tone, the spirit can certainly intervene um, to soften a word before it's spoken or typed or, you know, what, what have you. And I, I thought that was a very insightful and it goes right along with what you guys were just saying, following the Holy Spirit's direction, but also imploring of the Holy Spirit what to say. I mean, it's this isn't some type of magic show. There, there is a cause and effect here. Um, and what, when we pray, we can expect results. Um, especially for praying within the will of God, which to be conformed to Christ is certainly within the will of God. <laughs> he will certainly, he will certainly give us the words to say um, if we do, but ask. So yeah, that was good. I literally haven't, I, I, this is awesome. We have this giant craft roll of paper that was out on the table from father's day. when we had a whole bunch of kids here for father's day. And it was so nice because anytime I thought I had a question, I just wrote it down while you were talking. And I don't have any more questions left that I could that that I could conjure up here. <laughs> I, I had I had a fantastic time. Yeah, uh, it was awesome talking about this book. And I can't wait now that uh, now that Jesse can just share his account with me and I can read it. I'm kidding. We would never say that. Everyone should buy a copy of Gospel Smugness. <laughs> Everyone. Yeah, I mean the reality is. It's it's weird to promote something with the author right in front of you. I've never done this before, but it's I'll, I'll just let you know it's kind of weird. I have no um, problem doing it. <laughs> but uh, <coughs> but in all honesty, um, after I got done reading the book and as we were trying to set this up, I, I, I'm con- I was convinced as as an elder or shepherd at our church that um, all of our people should at least have this book available to them. Um, so we, we definitely plan our church definitely plans on purchasing a bunch of copies uh, to have on hand because it 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 it's so. We didn't really talk about this, but I, I absolutely one of the things that in, in reading it, I, I can read a lot of heavy books. I, I read a lot. I read a lot of books that are inaccessible to the average lay person. Mm-hmm. But 
this book was extremely, extremely accessible. The voice that the voice that you used when when writing was um, very um, conversational and very relatable. I love the office stories, um, but just hilarious. So it it doesn't make people feel too uncomfortable when they're reading it. Um, I don't think you yeah. present yourself as someone who's who's certainly got it all together. I think you've met, you mentioned several times in the book where where you've either struggled or failed or have room to grow, and and I think that's super important because. We, we as I read as I read authors, I'm like, oh, this person, this person is the expert on blank. Well, it's like, no, I don't think Blake thinks he's an expert at this. I think Blake thinks he needs to learn and grow about it. But I think that Blake saw the need to write the book because others need to learn and grow about it too. Um, and so, I, I definitely want to encourage everybody and anybody that listens to the podcast to at least consider uh, grabbing the book. Um, where can if somebody wants to purchase this, where can they find it, Blake? Good old Amazon. Hey. One of the and that's it. So, well, I mean, say, I say that's it. I am able to to buy copies myself. So, if someone uh, enjoys boycotting boycotting Amazon, they can certainly go through me, and I can send it directly to them. Um, it just might take a little longer uh, than your 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 two day prime shipping. But other than that, it is Amazon. That's one of the cons of being a self published author. And I went through Amazon to do it. It's it's only through Amazon, at least right now. And uh, your blog again is called. It's theology dash and dash life dot com. Theology dash and life. I put the dash, and dash. There because life. theology and life dot com was taken. Of course, uh, those. Yeah. You know, and well, then they and probably then was, didn't get a Chally's plug, so that's right. Them. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> or having does or have Dustin Bench forward the book, which was that's phenomenal. Uh, so that that just shows you that Blake Long has got something good to say. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we were super excited to have you on. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, Blake. That was uh, that was absolutely awesome, and for fielding questions off the cuff uh, that hopefully were somewhat challenging to you. I mean, you you kind of just rolled with them like hey, oh, sure. this is no big deal. Uh, but I tried to ask some challenging ones there. Jesse just kept lobbing softballs, and I'm like, come on, man, push and poke. You gotta gotta get your smugness <laughs> up. <laughs> but this was a great time. I hope uh, I hope it was enjoyable for you. You will definitely be able to find a link uh, to the the website uh, in our show notes. You'll be able to find a link to the book on Amazon in the show notes. But if you go through the website, you can talk directly to the author, Blake Long. Um, and he might be able to get you <laughs> around the evil, ultra-global overlord Amazon and get you your copy yeah. on the down low. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Signing everything. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I have people at my church asking for signed copies. I'm going to bring my copy to church for you so you can sign it. I'll sign it, but I'm, I mean, I feel awkward doing it, you know? So. No, you sign the book. Oh. If someone orders it through, you sign the book. <laughs> Absolutely. With your life hurt. That's what authors, that's With what Christian authors hurts. do. Always include the life first reference. It's funny because I've been... Um, a- <laughs> it's important i've been sending letters out to some of these people we've been sending shirts to and i, I just put Galatians. i think it's like what galatians 6 6 11 where paul's like you can see these giant these giant letters that i'm writing this is my own hand that, that's that's basically my message like look how sloppy this message is. i apologize right. 
But Paul had the same problem. Jesse's <laughs> handwriting is as good as any uh, doctor you know. His handwriting is atrocious. Which is awful. Yes. I was expecting a genuine compliment. I do not know why. But he really, <laughs> but you know what's awesome? The it always looks cool because he has these amazing pens. Ooh. So many amazing pens. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, well, on on the on the Carpe Fide podcast, we like to say uh, at the end of every episode that we hope everyone would seize, seize the fate. fate.